I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago as we started out in this series that, you know, our mission as the church is very simple. Sometimes we complicate it a lot more than what we should, but the the mission of the church is really very simple. It's not easy, but it is simple to make and to grow followers of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. And certainly uh, we, we, we worship together. We do a lot of different things, but that is our mission as the church, as the body of Christ is to make and to grow followers of Jesus Christ. And that word follow or, or, or followers implies that you and I are moving in a certain direction. We're, we're not stagnant. We're not sti- still, but we are moving in a forward direction that you are making progress in a certain direction and towards a certain goal. And, and we believe as a church that there are things that, that you can do, that we can do, some very clear things that the scripture, that scripture talks about, that we can do to follow Jesus better, like giving and serving and reaching out to others and worshiping together and doing life together as fellow Christians. Those are things that we can do. But one thing is absolutely critical and foundational is that you connect to God. We can, we can connect to each other and we do things and we reach out, but if, if there's no foundation of connecting to God, then we're just a, a bunch of people, a social group, getting together. And, and one of the ways that we do that is, is, is that we pursue that intimacy, we pursue that, that connection with God. One of the ways that we do that, a couple ways that we do that in particular, is through reading our Bibles, and spending time in prayer every single day. But nobody is born a natural prayer. You have to learn to pray. And so we're in the midst of a series called Praying for Rain. And in this series, we're letting the man who knew more about talking to God than anybody who ever walked the face of the earth teach us how to pray. We call the prayer that Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer. And I Suppose it is the best known prayer in the world. But I got to thinking this week, well, what is the second best known prayer? If this is the best known prayer, what is the second best known prayer? And there may be some uh, different candidates for that. But I suppose the second best known prayer in the world is what is often called the serenity prayer. It was written by a preacher and theologian in the last century named Reinhold Niebuhr. And you've probably heard it before, this, but this is the serenity prayer. It goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender, surrender to your will, That I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Again, you've probably heard that prayer, at least the first part, I'm guessing that you have heard that that prayer. And you probably know that it was adopted by Alcoholics Anonymous. And pretty much every support group who helps people deal with addiction has adopted uh, some form of the serenity prayer. Probably the best known, second best known prayer uh, in the world. Of course, there's another prayer that perhaps isn't as well known. It's called the senility prayer, and it goes like this. God, grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked anyway, 
the good fortune to run into the people I do, and the eyesight to tell the difference. Amen. You see, not all prayers are lined up with the will of God. And so we're learning from Jesus not how to pray for what we want, but how to pray for what God wants. We're learning to pray for rain. And that's why I've asked you to memorize the Lord's Prayer. And I think it will help you connect to God because when you start saying things like the Lord's Prayer and praying those things, I, I think we connect to God a lot better when our prayers sound a lot like the things Jesus asks, excuse me, asks us and wants us to pray for. So every week we're saying the Lord's Prayer together. And I recognize, I think I mentioned this last week, that some of you memorize the Lord's Prayer maybe in a different version than what we are saying. For instance, for a lot of you, you may have memorized the Lord's Prayer in the King James Version. And so you say, Our Father who art in heaven, instead of Our Father in heaven. Or maybe you say, Trespasses instead of, uh, of debts. And that's okay if you want to say it that way. It reminds me of the one little boy who uh, went to say the Lord's Prayer and he said it in the old King James Version, but he didn't get it quite right. And so he said, Our Father... Who does art in heaven, herald be thy name. And so if you say it by the King James Version, you're absolutely fine. Uh, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. By the way, I read another one that, that went on to say, and forgive us of our trash baskets and help us to forgive those who put trash in our baskets. So uh, that's probably not the best way to say it that way. But uh, if you do say it in the uh, old King James Version, you're more than welcome to say it. But we are saying it together uh, in the New International Version. And so that's the way that I'm saying it, but you can say it however uh, you want to or whatever version you want to say it in, but that's what we're going to say it in together uh, right now. So if you would, say this with me, the Lord's Prayer, together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now that awesome prayer comes in the context of an awesome sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, as Olivia brought up, that's also where we find the wise man and the foolish man at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets very real and talks about where real life is really lived. And in that sermon, Jesus says that following him will inform all the stuff that you and I deal with in life. He talks about struggles with lust and anger and judging people and forgiving people and worrying and finances and so many more things that he delves into. And Jesus says all these daily challenges of life need to come under the submission of the reign of God. And listen, that's a challenge every single day. That's why Jesus says, don't obsess about tomorrow. In fact, he says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. And then he says something I think we all can probably give an amen to. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Can I get an amen, right? Each day has enough trouble of its own. And so Jesus says, I know you may have good intentions, but don't tell me that you're going to be my disciple tomorrow, okay? Okay. Don't even worry about tomorrow. Let's just deal 
with, what's, with what's on your plate right now and let following me shape and inform how you're going to deal with this moment. And the way that we deal with this, the, these moments and the dailiness of life is that we pray every day. Because through prayer, we get through each day. Through prayer, we get through each day. When we pray for rain, we experience serenity. When we don't, and we face the challenges of life with no or little connection to God, we experience anxiety. I was reminded of this when I saw a picture of this van. And you have to say that this guy, or gal, I guess, but it's probably a guy, just, you know, if we're, if we're supposing, it's more than likely a guy, that, that he got probably more onto a van than I would ever think was humanly possible. Uh, and you may commend this man's packing ability. Uh, however, the uh, state police of New Hampshire did not agree, and so they pulled him over and gave him a ticket uh, because it was not safe. They towed the car away as well because it was not safe because that car was not built to carry that kind of burden. And neither are we. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, that worry just weighs a person down. And don't you feel that? I mean, there's not just a, a, an emotional side of it, but there's a physicalness where worry just weighs a person down. And so there's a better way to get through each day. And Peter tells us what that is. He says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, give all your worries and cares to God. Because he cares about you. You need to pray every day about the challenges of that day because God cares. You see, God doesn't divide life into the spiritual over here and the physical over here. You know, God, God doesn't say, you know, talk to me about the, the spiritual, but don't talk to me about the physical because I'm not really interested in that. It's all spiritual to God. All of life falls under the umbrella of being spiritual. All of life is meant to be brought into surrender to God. And even when you're talking to God about the physical things, it's a spiritual thing if you are praying for God's reign. And so what Jesus is going to do, and remember, he's just taught us uh, how to pray as we looked at last week. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. God, I want what you want. And Jesus is then going to go into three challenges that we face every single day and teach us how to pray about those things in a way that brings rain. And you can't get more physical than the first challenge. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Now let me just get something out on the table right away. When, when Jesus taught that prayer, a lot of the people he was talking to prayed that part of the prayer literally. And there is still many people in this world who would pray that prayer literally. My guess is, though, I highly doubt I'm talking to anyone here or online who does pray that prayer literally, who, who needs to pray that prayer literally. You and I pray that prayer more metaphorically. If you were to go to Barnes & Noble or your local bookstore today you would find shelf after shelf of cookbooks, right? 
you would have a hard time finding a book on how to survive starvation. You and I just don't have to deal with that. And so why would we pray this prayer, give us today our daily bread? Well, we do it because it's our way of declaring that as God's people, as kingdom people, we are through with worrying. We are through with worrying. We have a good father who wants to take care of us, not just spiritually, but also physically. Now, let me be clear. Jesus is not implying that God is some butler in heaven and prayer is the way that you get him to do what you want him to do. That prayer is somehow the bell that you ring to get the butler in heaven to do what you want him to do. Or somehow that prayer is some vending machine that if you push the right buttons, then God will supply you with what you desire. I mean, think about it. God or Jesus just got through telling us to pray for God's kingdom to come. And so when we pray, God, give us today our daily bread, what we're doing is we're saying, God, I need you to provide me with what I need to be a kingdom person today so that I can partner with you in bringing your kingdom to the earth. It's interesting. He follows it up just a few verses later in Matthew chapter six, verse 25, by saying that is why I tell you not to worry about your everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. He says, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Then he says this in verse 33, <clears throat> seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. When we pray, give us today our daily bread, what we're saying is, God, you're a good father. You want me to live for your kingdom. You want me to pursue your will. And I'm claiming and believing that you are going to give me everything I need today. Not necessarily everything I want, but everything I need today to be an obedient follower of Jesus Christ. And because I've asked for this, I don't have to wonder if I've hallowed your name. Because if I'm asking for this, your name's already going to be hallowed in my life. And so I'm giving up worrying. And I'm going to replace it with gratitude and generosity. I mean, let's just be honest. You and I have food in the cupboard. Some of you are already thinking about where you're going to go eat lunch today. We don't have to worry from a very practical sense about where our next meal is going to come from. But we do need to pray this prayer because it guards our hearts against the temptation to be a hoarder or to be uncaring or apathetic about all the people who need to be reached with kingdom news. And so maybe a better application or, or translation of this prayer for us would be, God, you've been so good to me. And so today, give me the grace to know when enough is enough, and to be content. And give me the wisdom to know how I can steward all these blessings to honor you and honor your name. And so we pray, God, give us today our daily bread so that we will not hijack the blessings of God to build our own kingdoms, but instead so that we can live today building the kingdom of God. But you can't really live today if you're living in bondage to yesterday. And so right after Jesus says, 
I know one of the challenges for, for you that you face every day is you're worrying. Give that up. Give it to God. Ask for daily bread. Then he says, and ask God to forgive your sins. God, forgive us our debts. Because Jesus also wants to be not only through with worrying, but he also wants us to be through with regretting. Jesus knows that my need for forgiveness is as daily as my need for bread. Now, we don't always know that, but Jesus does. You know, I've never stood in front of the mirror and said, Josh, today you gave God everything you owe him. You owe God nothing today. You gave him everything that he was due. And so I face the daily temptation to believe that my Father in heaven is perpetually disappointed in me. Because I never give him everything he's due. I never give God everything that I ought to give him. And so we pray this prayer, forgive my debts, to remind myself that our Lord Jesus has taken our account, my account, as his own. That my overdrawn account and all the debts that I've racked up has been melded into his. You see, we have a debt that we cannot pay. Any religion that says you just have to do more, try harder, be better, you'll pay off your debt, that's just rank legalism. That's all that is. We cannot pay our debt. And so the answer has to come from heaven. And so God sent Jesus in the form of a man to walk this earth, to live like I live, like you live, to face the daily challenges that we face. And yet Jesus could. You, you and I can't. We can't look in the mirror and say, God, I've given you everything that, I, that, I, that you are due today. Jesus could. Jesus could look in the mirror and say, God, I've given you everything that you deserve today. And so when he went to the cross, it wasn't for his death. It was for mine. And yours. And when we confess Jesus as Lord and we declare that only He can save and we put our faith in His blood and we're baptized into His death and His resurrection, it's our way of saying, Jesus, I believe, or God, I believe that Jesus can cover my debt. And if you've never made that claim, then I, I would hope and pray that you would make that claim today because He alone is the answer. And I believe that because of the cross, I stand before God today. And you, if you have put your faith in him and been baptized into him, stand before God today, debt free. Isn't that good news? I do not pay my debts. I pray my debts and remind myself every time I pray that God has forgiven me because of what Jesus has done. You see, Jesus God doesn't just want you. Here's the problem that we often have in a lot of areas of life. And I would especially say in this area, when it comes to releasing our debts and allowing God to, to forgive them and, 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 and let those things go. Because the biggest problem we have oftentimes is forgiving ourselves. And, and, and we talk about it. And we know the right words to say, but we don't truly believe it. You see, God doesn't just want us to be debt free. He wants us to feel and live debt-free. And so we pray, God, forgive my sins. Forgive my debts. Not to get re-saved, 
but to get released, to take the guilt and the shame out with the garbage and to trust in the work of Jesus. I I like a story that author Bob Goff talks about in one of his books. He was asked about parenting one time, and, and so he told this story. He said, when my daughter was 17, she wrecked the car. And I gave her some coordinates, and I gave her a shovel, and I told her, go find that spot and start digging. And she did, and she found a box where he had buried it. And inside the box was a letter that was written to her before she was born. And the letter said, honey, I forgive you for wrecking the car. And you could, you could just write that letter and, and it's probably going to come true, right? Because it's going to happen at, at some point. But I love that story because you see, because of the cross, forgiveness for my sins is available before I even commit them. That's how amazing grace is. The Bible says, one of my favorite verses, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse, verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that is a truth we need to hear, a truth that we need to speak, a truth we need to pray, and a truth that we need to embrace every single day. Because I want the forgiveness of God to reign in my heart. I need the forgiveness of God to reign in my heart because I know how hard it is every day to extend forgiveness to other people. And Jesus does too. And so he teaches us to pray, not just to forgive our debts, but also to pray as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus knows every day we're tempted to worry. Every day we're tempted to regret. And he wants, to be, wants us to be through with all of that and to be through with resenting. To be through with resenting. Because here's the thing that you and I have we all have in common as citizens of the kingdom of God. We have all done wrong to our father. And we've all been done wrong by a brother or sister. Following Jesus is not a promise that people won't hurt you. In fact, they will every single day. They will do it by the words they speak. They will do it by the words they do not speak. People will hurt you this week and didn't know that they did. People will hurt you this week and know full well what they are doing and still do it anyway. Every day we must deal with the dailiness or the ugliness or dailiness of ugliness. And one way we often cope with this is that we push back or pull back and we let our our, our hearts get hard and calloused so that people won't hurt us so badly. And we kind of put up these walls. But Jesus, you know, takes a very dim view of being on or trying to be on speaking terms with him when you are giving your brother or sister the silent treatment. I mean, you just think about, can you imagine, you've got kids, grandkids, can you imagine everybody comes home for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, for some family event, and, and everybody, all your kids and grandkids want to talk to you, but they don't want to talk across the table to each other. Can you imagine how awkward that would be, first of all, but just how dishonorable that would be to you? 
And in the same way, Jesus says, you go to the altar with a gift, you go to honor God, and yet you know someone's got something against you, go and fix that. Go take care of that first, then come and talk to God. Because a debt-collecting heart is not a heart where God reigns. And so right after the Lord's Prayer, I mean, the very next verses are some of the hardest verses that Jesus ever spoke. Here's what he says, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Now, when you read that, it could almost sound legalistic. Like Jesus is saying, well, here's what you have to do to pay for your forgiveness. But you've got to hear what he says in light of everything else that he's ever said. And in light of what we have and what he does and what he teaches. And you have to hear it in the context of what the whole New Testament says and teaches. Jesus is not saying that forgiving the debts of others is the way that we pay our debts. What he is saying is that we forgive debts as a response to the way God has set us free from our own debts. That my generosity to my brother or sister is my act of gratitude to my father. Because when God reigns in a heart, that heart does not become a, a retention pond where the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God just just collects and we hold on to it, but rather when a heart, a heart where God reigns, it becomes a river where grace and mercy and forgiveness flow into us and out of us and into a world that needs the kingdom to come. One of my favorite stories I heard, a great example of this is about a man by the name of Stephen McDonald. I don't know if you've heard that name before, uh, but Stephen McDonald actually died a few years ago but he was a New York City policeman. And back in 1986, he was in Central Park and he stopped, a, uh, or stopped three young men about a possible bicycle theft. And a 15-year-old boy pulled out a gun, fired, fired several times. And from that day forward, Stephen McDonald was, was paralyzed from the neck down because of that encounter. He continued to live a noble life as a husband, as a father, but what got the most attention was his reaction to the boy who shot him. His intentional decision to reach out to him, to love him, and to publicly forgive him. And he wrote why. He said this. He said, looking back and pondering on my life since that time, it's clear to me that God was in charge. And all he wanted was the opportunity to use me. He just needed my yes. And that was made possible by prayer. It's that simple, really. Through the family and friends that God put in my life and their prayers, God spoke to me and said, will you love this boy who shot you? And the best way I could love him was to forgive him. Left to my own abilities, I don't think I would have done it. And I know I would have died a long time ago had I not listened to God and said yes to God and followed the example of his son. Did you hear that? I love that part where he says, God needed me to say yes. And prayer was the only thing that made that possible. You see, somebody owes you something. Right now, somebody owes you 
an apology. Somebody owes you an explanation. Somebody owes you some respect. Somebody owes you a better marriage. Somebody owed you, or maybe still owes you, a better childhood. And it's prayer that equips us for the hard daily challenge of dispensing mercy. And maybe you say, well, preacher, you don't know what they did. You, you have no idea what, what I've had to endure. No, I don't. But here's what I do know. Refusing to forgive is a declaration of personal sovereignty. It's declaring to heaven, this is my kingdom. God, you run your kingdom, but in my kingdom, this is how it's going to be. Refusing to forgive is a declaration that you are on the throne. Choosing to forgive is a declaration that you want God's kingdom to come and that you have been reigned on. And it may not bring the kingdom or bring that person into the kingdom of God, but I promise you this, it will bring more of the kingdom of God into you. You see how real Jesus is? This is stuff we deal with every single day. Day. He knows we deal with this stuff every day. Worry, regret, resentment. And he says you've got to live every day surrendered to the reign of God. And it's prayer that's going to get you through. It's prayer that's going to help you embrace the values of the kingdom. In prayer, you're asking for God's reign to come through you before the challenges of that day come to you. Because listen, fear this week is going to show up. This week, in some way, fear is going to show up. In fact, it may have already, you may have brought it here with you this morning. And you're going to have plenty of reasons to worry. And the enemy is going to whisper, you, you need to worry. But you're going to say, don't go there, devil. I've prepared my heart. I'm asking for daily bread. And God's going to give me everything I need to be a kingdom person today. And you're going to fall short. Probably this week as well. And, and the enemy's going to come along and he's going to whisper, you are such a failure. Man, you know how much you disappoint God. But you're going to say, I, I'm not going there, devil. My heart is prepared because every single day I let God know that I depend on his grace to cover my sins through what Jesus has done for me. And more than likely this week, somebody's going to hurt you. And the enemy will show up and he's going to say, well, how are you going to respond? I mean, you really ought to give them what they deserve, you know. But you see, your heart is prepared. And you're going to say, devil, I'm not going to let you pour your poison and your resentment and your bitterness into my heart. My heart is flooded with grace. And what God has poured into me, I'm going to pour out to others. Do you see what you're doing? You're preparing your heart to receive rain before the storm comes. Lord, rain through me. Before the storm comes to me. 
Rain through me during the storm, certainly. But if he's not raining before the storm, then the storm is going to hurt. And it's going to wreck you. So, Father, rain through me before the storm comes to me. That's what Jesus is teaching us to do. He's teaching us to connect to God and to become kingdom people who deal with the daily challenges of life every single day from hearts that have been rained on. But before the kingdom can come, something's got to go. Worry, regret, resentment. What is it for you? What is it for you that's getting in the way of the reign of God? 